Kia ora and welcome to Beyond Consultation, a podcast that will help you in your public or community sector work to increase your impact by doing more than just ticking the box of consultation. I'm Paul McGregor from Business Lab, and we're interested in the mindsets and methods of people who are making a bigger impact by working collaboratively with communities, industries, and other organizations. Ma mihi mote Kia ora, it's Paul here, and I wanted to kick off this episode by letting you know that there is also a shorter version of this Kōrero with Dr. Toby Lowe. This episode, the full episode, is almost an hour long, so if you're a little bit more strapped for time, we've made a summary episode that is about half that length. If you want more detail, if you love hearing the full richness of the conversation, then this full episode is for you. There's a point in today's show where I was reminded of that scene from the movie The Matrix, where Neo gets offered a red pill or a blue pill by Morpheus. If he takes the blue pill, he goes back to ordinary life and to thinking whatever he wants to believe about the world. And if he takes the red pill, then he gets woken up from the Matrix and can see the true reality of the world. Today's guest is Dr. Toby Lowe, who is going to give you a choice about what kind of world you want to believe in, what kind of public service world you want to believe in. He is the lead voice behind what is fast becoming a global movement called the Human Learning Systems Movement. And it's all about making a different choice about how we do public service. And by public service, Toby is meaning that in a really broad sense. So it's basically anybody who is doing work for the public good. What Toby's work has shone a light on in the last few years uh, is the underlying beliefs of how we do public good work. So back in the 1980s, there was this approach called new public management, which, well, it was new back then, is based on quite commercial principles of management. So... You set direction from the top of an organization, you cascade that down to the workers, and if they do a good job and they meet the targets that are set, then they get rewarded, they get promoted, they get more budget for their initiatives, and so on. So public resources are managed through contracts, they are managed through set targets, and well, for citizens, for people using whatever those services might be, this means that you're interacting with all sorts of different organizations, government agencies, community organizations, iwi organizations, and each of them might be providing a small slice of the puzzle that you need. And sometimes if you don't meet the criteria for that slice of the puzzle, well, you're out of luck. So Toby's experience was one of working in that system for about 15 years or, years or so in the UK. And he was just really frustrated and dissatisfied. And he's looking around trying to figure out why, why is that happening for me when I'm working for good organizations, I'm doing work that I care about, but I just feel like there's so many barriers in the system around me. He shares the story today of how he's helped to give life to an approach that, well, sort of already existed, but in small pockets. And this is based on being human, right? Recognizing the full person in front of you, but also being able to bring yourself to work. It is based on learning, prioritizing learning rather than control and systems, looking at the underlying causes behind the symptoms that you might be seeing and 
really trying to get an understanding, a rich understanding of the messiness of what's going on rather than trying to make things linear. Now, there are a lot of materials out there that explain the bones of this human learning systems approach. So we don't go too much into that. Uh, I've got some links in the show notes if you are interested. There's some really good ebooks that Toby and others have written, as well as some podcast episodes and articles and stories out there as well. What I wanted to do with Toby was explore what it might mean to embrace human learning systems here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Well, without further ado, please welcome to the show, Dr. Toby Lowe. I am very pleased to welcome to the Beyond Consultation podcast, Dr. Toby Lowe. Welcome, Toby. Thanks, Paul. I read it great to be in conversation with you this morning slash evening. <laughs> yeah, nice. It's too early for you and it's too late for me. So this could be a terrible conversation. We'll see what happens. First uh, <laughs> one who falls asleep has to some forfeit involved and make a cup of tea for the other one, send it around the world. <laughs> Toby, some of the people listening today might know you because you've shared a little bit of your work in New Zealand before. Uh, but a lot of people probably don't. So can you share a little bit about yourself and how you came to be, well, the leading voice behind a, a global movement, the human learning systems movement? How did that happen? So where should we start the story? So I worked in the public and voluntary sector uh, in different roles in the UK for about 15 years. I did mm. policy roles for national government. I did local roles in Newcastle in the northeast of England where I live. And most recently I was a charity chief executive in the Northeast of England, working for an organization that served some of the most kind of disadvantaged and marginalized people in the okay. Northeast. Okay. And in that role, I discovered a deep and abiding frustration for how funding and performance management works. Yep. What I could see was that performance management systems made performance worse. And most insidiously of all, the outcomes-based performance management that was kind of at the height of fashion at the time was creating an environment where no one told the truth to each other. <laughs> and I was the straw that broke the, the camel's back for me was when a local authority commissioner asked me to lie to him on his own outcomes-based yeah. performance management forms. Cause he was just like, no, I, I want to give you this money, but I'm constrained by this kind of outcomes-based performance management system. Just write this here and write this here and write this here. I'm like, but that's not yeah. true. I had this vision of. Right. All of these forms being sucked up to, into kind of data dashboards for the senior leaders going, oh, right. isn't everything marked? Yeah. I was just like, I just none of this is true. Mm. You are operating off a set of data that's kind of made up. If any decent chunk of it is made up, none of it is trustworthy. Mm. Right. So you're making decisions off the back of data you can't trust. Yeah. You've created a system where everyone systematically lies to you. What are you doing? What are we doing? Playing this ridiculous game. Of inventing figures one mm. that realization made me think we must be able to do this stuff better yeah uh, a friend pushed me in the direction of the business school at newcastle university <laughs> and said why don't you go and talk to some people there i think they'd be interested in talking about that friend to that in the pub for like two hours <laughs> <laughs> I, I spoke to the business school people at that point if you ever told me i would have anything to do with the business school i would have thrown on laughing yeah, never, yeah. Never I mean, in a million years, I would have said You that started one. in what arts organizations? Well, I was a political theorist, actually. That's why, <laughs> that's what my PhD is. So I was able to do research, identified that 
essentially we have a pump management problem, right? That underneath the experiences of frustrated social workers and frustrated charity chief executives and like despairing public service commissioners and all, all of those frustrations have, are kind of built on a common mm. structure of mm. a public management mechanism that is built on a set of faulty assumptions out of the law. Mm. So why not, why not change how we do public management? Because it's just a choice. Yeah. So I'm a person who's trying to change how we do public management. Yeah. <laughs> and that's your hat today. Yeah. Well, Toby, we need people like you because my personal experience, similar, working in public service and in an organization with a turnover rate of more than 50%. And you talk with your colleagues. And I mean, I came back from a long holiday once and thought I was on the wrong floor because I didn't recognize anybody. And I remember we'd have these, you know, review days of why is our turnover rate so high? And we'd come away with these very small actions of, well, you know, maybe we need to change this meeting and, you know, can we tweak our, our salary bands or you know, something like that. And I would come away just going, that doesn't feel like enough. I am deeply frustrated with how I'm doing work, which seems like it's so far away from the people that we're trying to help. And so similar to you, that sparked me off into work that is trying to figure out why was that so frustrating? I really liked what we were working on. It was really important stuff, but it just felt like we weren't making a difference. This is it. By and large, people go into public service and associated kind of voluntary and sector and kind of civil society stuff because they're passionate about it, because they really want to make a difference in the world. And instead of using that passion as a motivating force to do excellent work, our public management system completely squashes that. And, and it is based on a, a motivation system that is about reward and punishment, it's about extrinsic motivation. If you hit this particular metric, <laughs> we'll give you a shiny star. There was a ton of research that says that the people who go into that work aren't set up like that. That's not how they want it. Mm. And, and mm. you're trying to motivate them in ways that alienate them. Mm. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> and so, Toby, a lot of people just struggle on in that system and live their entire career going, well, that was a little bit frustrating. And I've turned myself off. I had a friend of mine who is working in a public sector organization, and she said, a mentor of mine said, you've got two options for your career now. You either go off and try and find something else, or you just turn off the part of you that cares. And I felt so sad hearing that. And I guess what you're doing is trying to help people like that who are driven by that passion to actually change the system around them that is preventing them from being able to do the good work they want to do. Exactly. The ridiculous thing is that the choice of public management frameworks that we use, it is just a choice. Most people have forgotten that it's a choice because we have had 30 years of a dominant public management paradigm that creates a kind of tantalizing narrative that says this is just the way to do management. And for people listening, so that's, that's new public management, which especially here in New Zealand, we have embraced quite wholeheartedly. When, yeah, exactly. New Zealand was one of the test banks for uh, new public management, which is interestingly why I think that New Zealand is, is one of those places that has significant dissatisfaction with 
you probably might have been because you've had people who've been around the full circle because Yupon Reisman made some excellent promises about how it was going to organize public service differently to be cheaper and more effective, more entrepreneurial, mm. more business-like. It made some excellent promises that got a bunch of people really quite excited. Mm. Uh, we've been around enough of those kind of cycles now for people to realize that none of those promises have been kept. Mm. You've got, I, I think that we've tapped a really strong undercurrent of, hang on a minute, that didn't work. Let's do this differently. And what I see as well is there are lots of pockets of people or, or organizations at all different levels, whether that's national, nationwide or local or community. What excites me about the work you're doing, Toby, with human learning systems is you are really addressing the underlying beliefs that cause people, organizations to behave in a, a certain way. That's what makes me look at the human learning systems approach and go, this is different to some of the other things that are promising, which feel more like tools in the toolkit. Whereas this is more about actually, these are the beliefs that are underneath everything and how we behave. So for people listening who are going, okay, human learning systems, I haven't heard about that at all. We're not going to go into a deep dive on that today, but can you give a brief introduction yeah. to each of those and kind of how that got there as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the human learning systems as an alternative public management paradigm comes from the work of a whole bunch of public managers. When I talk about public service and public managers, basically mean anyone who plans and organizes, coordinates action that um, supports human freedom and flourishing. If you're doing purposeful work that supports human freedom and flourishing, whether that's in the public sector, voluntary sector, civil society, whatever, you are, in the way that I think about these things, a public manager, because you're mm -hmm. trying to organize people, other forms of resources, or to get work done. We had encountered previously, when I kind of began to set off on this kind of thing of oh, how do we do public management differently? What we encountered was a whole slew of public managers who had become completely dissatisfied with the previous paradigm of new public management. So we built this idea of what an alternative public management program looked like from the practice of different bits of uh, different public managers trying and experimenting with different things in different places. And all that we've done as a set of people who are kind of action researchers around that is support them in their experimentation and try and help join up the different islands mm -hmm. of, let's try this and let's try that, in some kind of coherent conceptual whole. If you do it like this, if you do this like this, then it's helpful to be that, like that, right? And blah, 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 blah. The human learning system is built of the experiments in doing management differently that mm. a bunch of public managers started off in the UK, but actually it's work around the world now are doing. Because we've built it up from practice, we basically listened to some of the language that, uh, and ideas that those people spoke about. And so the language of human learning systems came from listening to mm. the way that those people talked about things. And so those mm. are three core ideas, the idea of being human to one another. We couldn't spend more than like 10 minutes listening to the people doing the work before someone said something like, oh, this is just about being more human to each other, isn't it? Yeah. 
That's, that's a chapter heading. Very, <laughs> very basic when you hear it. And yet <laughs> often the way we work at the moment, we, we're not allowed to be human. We, we have to put a mask on and we hide behind that. Exactly. One of the essential characteristics of new problem management is that it's dehumanized, right? Mm. It turns the people that are being served by public service into like single data points or single problems or blah, blah, blah. Mm. You are a person with mental health problems or you're a person with a, a body mass index obesity score of this or mm. you're a person, whatever. You're not a person. You're that the carrier of that piece of data. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not sick enough for this program here. You're not poor enough for this program, you know. The, the human labor systems is built on the idea of actually when we treat each other as kind of fully rounded human beings, then in public service terms, good things seem to happen to the quality of that public service. I might jump in there, Toby, because I, I think for a lot of our New Zealand listeners, this is where Te Ao Māori, the Māori worldview really intersects quite strongly with what you're talking about, you know, the values of whakawhanaungatanga understanding the relationships and connections that you have with each other. Manaakitanga, which is about caring for the person in front of you and their, their mana, upholding their, what makes them a whole person. And, and do you know what this, it's one of the reasons why the conversation in New Zealand about this is really exciting because you have access to a set of base concept mm-hmm. that seem to connect fundamentally with what human learning systems is trying to express. So you have all this language and conceptual foundations to draw on this stuff that a bunch of other people don't. It gives such a, um, a brilliant head start to people in your context thinking about this stuff. Oh yeah, of course, that's that idea. Yeah. It doesn't require a bunch of people In the UK context, when we heard people say, oh, this is public, people being more human to each other. Oh yeah, that's great language. Now, what does that mean? I'm not kidding. I, I have spent over a year of like research time across like three or four year period unpicking what people mean by being more human to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so people got a bunch of things go, oh yeah, of course. That means that. Mm-hmm. that. That gives such an advantage because you've got such a kind of ingrained sense of, oh yeah, of course, right, okay, that means that, no, blah, blah, blah. It took a bit used to get from hearing that kind of language of being human to each other the first time to a definition that says that means that the purpose of public service is to support human freedom and flourishing. When public service sees a human being, it sees someone embedded in a web of relationships that is their life as a complex. There's okay, two and a half years that's invested in that, and you have those concepts already ready to go. Mm, interesting. And I think for our wider public service as well, that's been a journey of, I'm not going to say how many years, but it's been a journey to start to embrace and learn more from Te Ao Māori, which historically has been squashed down rather than embraced. I sort of see that happening at the same time. I'm fumbling at the edges of all of these concepts because I'm listening into the conversations that people are in, having in New Zealand going, oh, that's really interesting. Obviously, when it's that you've got all these concepts to draw on, like they are kind of undiscovered well of resource for kind of mm. using the public service. One of the things that that framing is doing a disservice to is obviously the massive struggle that people have got to go, uh, hey, mate, look, how about, how, how about our ideas and language? Uh, should you take yeah, those? That's something I, interesting that I've heard people say about any ideas that we here in New Zealand are drawing on from overseas. Yeah, there's always a risk of 
recolonization, if you will. You go, oh, great. Yeah. Okay. So we need more ideas from the UK. Really? (laughs) How did that go last time for everyone in this country? Hmm. It went well for some, not so well for others. So um, that's something that I'm I'm bearing in the back of my mind as well and sort of wondering, "Mm, do you translate human learning systems into concepts and language that make sense in New Zealand? Or actually, do we start on our own from the values and the ideas that we have here? I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's such a great question. And from my perspective, the human learning system stuff isn't a set of ideas to import or a set of practices to Mm. copy. It's a set of things that people who have been through the experience of new public management and were dissatisfied have mm. learned about what an alternative looks like. Mm. So if you're similarly kind of frustrated by having done 30 years of new public management and experiencing essentially broken promises and, and are looking for what the alternative is, then what human learning systems offers is the experiences of, of other people who have been exactly through that cycle. So if you feel like those experiences are in some way similar, then there is interesting learning Mm. to be had from, from similar people in different parts of the world. Because it's not just the UK now, it's like Mm. Finland, Scotland, and the bits of the uh, Czech Republic. If those experiences are relevant and interesting to you, you don't have Mm. to start from scratch. Yeah. I think probably for different countries and different people different parts of it are going to be more familiar than others. So I, I hear you talking about human and I go, yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I get that. The, then if we move on to the learning piece, that's where I go, that makes sense to me intellectually, but how to, to do that, how to create a learning environment at scale, I go, mm, okay, I'm, I'm not sure how to do that because that's so unfamiliar to what I have been trained to do in new public management. Exactly. The human bit essentially is describing and talking about both the kind of the moral purpose of the of public service and the fundamental interconnectedness. And it gives a few pointers on how, because it says things like human relationships are important, so acts so as to nurture relationships of trust. So mm. there's some kind of pointers to the how. The learning stuff's really interesting. As you said, the deeper that we got into this, what we realised was that the people who were really experimenting hard with this, what they were doing was enacting learning as a management strategy. Mm. They were saying the job of managers isn't to kind of control a lot of people. So if, you take, if, you, if you take the kind of traditional idea of management from a new public management perspective, yeah, the job of a kind of manager is to and translate the overall purpose of public service into a smart objective, to smart target, okay, broad sense of purpose into you will achieve this metric by this day for these people, right? And my job as a, as a manager is to monitor whether you're delivering against that metric or those metrics if it's really sophisticated and reward or punish you mm. on the basis of whether yeah. that's being achieved or not with a bit of a side slice of, I will try and support your development to achieve. <laughs> right. mm. But it's essentially a control-based paradigm. Mm. Uh, with lots set. of layers of hierarchy to be able to reward quite clearly. Exactly. And, and that, that stuff cascades down organizations. 
right? Mm -hmm. Senior managers set smart targets for their middle managers. Mm -hmm. The middle managers set smart targets for the teams. The team set team managers set smart targets for the right? so that the, the whole idea of that is that those visionary people with the big picture things that's why they get paid the six figure salaries, right? Their students mm -hmm. are and they the big, see all the things, take all the difficult decisions, set that amazing strategy. And then the, if the strategy is enacted downwards through an organization, through the mm -hmm. And then this is where in my work often, I see this great tension where I'm working with an organization and they're in that paradigm of, we need to set the strategy and then fit, cascade it down. And we also want locally led bottom up solutions. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> You kind of laugh for that because you get this really awkward mishmash of our senior managers have gone, oh, I know how we should do it. We, we should do it like this, this, and this, and this. <laughs> and, and then they've on the side, they built on, oh, actually, we want local innovation. Mm. It, it is almost laughably inconsistent. It would be funny, except it's billions and billions of dollars <laughs> wasted, and a lot of people's lives and talents wasted, and all that kind of, that kind of local innovation stuff. But the genuine innovation program, this is where we've we've seen like what alternative management practice can really look like when you like study up close what people are doing in those innovation programs in those uh, like lab programs and mm -hmm. like kind of design thinking things like that the, the practice on the ground that that is a set of people who say mm -hmm. okay let's gather together to find out what our shared problems are Let's do kind of discovery work so that um, we all have a sense of the different aspects of those problems. Those are all visible to us. And then we'll do some creative work together and say, okay, we could experiment like with trying this and we'll try this and try this. And some of those things will work and some of those won't. And that's all fine because that's exactly part of this experimental innovation process. And that will create interesting change. Now, when you look at those practices, you can see, oh, okay, that, and those things do create effective local solutions. Mm. So there's a, this is partly where we've drawn the kind of wellspring of, okay, what would this look like? At different level? Look, look at the interesting stuff. Mm. And all we've done with this is we've seen that the most successful of those don't, like previously, those innovation things were tracked within a new public frame, right? So he said, yeah. Let's take the things that worked from those local experiments and say, oh, the reason that that experiment in place X worked is because it's superbly and like a world shatteringly brilliant. And it is world shatteringly brilliant in a way that no one else has tried anywhere <laughs> before. But what we do is we take that thing that worked mm. in that context and we will take it to scale, right? We will the roll it out. Yeah, we will roll it out like it's that particular set of practices mm -hmm. we'll talk about that was the cause of the miraculous things. All we do is saying, now that's, that's the false assumption. Mm -hmm. The idea that the why that worked was because that set of practices were uniquely amazing and solved the problem. What solved the problem in that context was the learning process that people went mm -hmm. on. That, pro that shared process of well, understanding the problems from different people's perspectives and trying things out. That's, mm. that's the thing that worked. It was the learning process that worked. It was yeah. that innovation process that works. So rather than scaling thing that worked only because it had a particular set of relationships to the people in that context and blah, blah, blah. So it worked because of the unique history of that and 
the relationship between those as a set of practices and the people doing those practices and that place, right? We say, instead of trying to take that innovation out of its context and make that work everywhere, which always fails, like yeah. always. Yeah. Like anyone who says, let's take an innovation to scale should be, I don't know, should be made to read every single paper, every single research paper that says, we take that innovation that worked in that context and it didn't work in others. Like anyone who says the phrase, oh, let's take that innovation scale should be met, sat down and made to read every single one of the research papers that says that stuff I Like, I cannot think of a more appropriate punishment. I, I was sat surrounded by the number of research papers that said <laughs> that that approach to innovation fails. You, you wouldn't see me. <laughs> We love starting new charities in New Zealand. We've got 27,000 of them for a country of 5 million. And so, you know, you when, see when you reach a charity each, you'll, you'll <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're heading that way. So we love starting new charities. And so you'll have a new charity that'll start up a new group. They'll be very successful, impactful in a short space of time in a community. What do they do then? Do they go, okay, well, we've only been successful because of the relationships that we've got and because of the learning that we've done in this local community. Do we now stop and stay in our community or how do we have more impact? The error in the question that I think you've asked, I'll just try the pause was me going, mm. why is the right question? How do we have more impact? Because those people who started that particular kind of local charity and who tried to make their neighborhood better or whatever, whatever the, the, their passion was, right? Mm. They are having impact. Mm. The reason they're having impact isn't because they, isn't necessarily because they have a unique method or a unique set of practices that can be taken to scale, mm. right? So if you take those people out of their context, there is no guarantee that yeah the impact that they were part of creating in that particular context will, will be repeated anywhere else. That is the inescapable truth of mm. when we understand our lives as complex systems, that is the in, inescapable truth. And I mean, what you can also see in my question then is the ego that I think comes along with new public management as well, because it is about me being successful in managing the thing. Exactly. It, it nurtures that colonial mentality, that colonial savior mentality of, ah, oh, look at me with my fabulous thing that I have mm. invented. I will now take this to all the different neighborhoods in New Zealand and I will be the savior. You of all countries know that that mentality is dangerous. Mm. Well, what does this mean that contexts can't learn from each other? that every mm. context has to start from scratch in terms of <laughs> and find what works in, in that particular context. Mm. And no, absolutely not, because what context can do is learn from one another, right? But this is a process of learning from one another, not a process of taking one thing from one place and implementing mm. it somewhere else. Because mm. right? in your neighborhood, if you recognize that you've got similar problems to a neighborhood in the next town, Mm. Why wouldn't you have a look at what seems to be working really mm. well from there and go, oh, yeah, you know that thing they were doing over there, that aspect of it, mm. I reckon we could do some of that and that might help us as well. And so it becomes the things that other people are trying and it seems to be working mm. for them 
quite often become the things that you try first in your context. Because why wouldn't yeah. you? If what you've got surrounding you is a learning process where you're getting to experiment and try different things and see what works for your context, why wouldn't you start with experimenting with the things that work <laughs> next door? Yeah, yeah. You're starting a few steps ahead at least. It's no fun to keep bashing your head up against a wall with things that don't work. For people who are passionate about stuff, they, they want stuff to work, right? Mm-hmm. And so why wouldn't you start? By experimenting with and seeing whether it works, there. Mm. but the the thing that gets us there is this learning process. Right? Mm. Is it that innovation process we described before? Coming together, articulating the problems in a way that enables everyone to see, and then designing experiments that go let's try this, let's try this, and it's that let's see what happens when we. <laughs> that is the essence of kind of learning as a management. I've got another question that I want to explore with you because I've read what you've written and it still, still hasn't quite landed for me fully because I'm just been so bred into new public management, I think. So new public management, we spend a lot of time evaluating what has been the impact of our initiative and you explain the futility of doing that because you never really know what the impact of your intervention in a system has been who knows whether it was you and your program or whether it was something completely out of left field that might have resulted in what you were trying to achieve so i i get that 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 is futile to try and measure your impact in that way what's the alternative then for how you understand how progress is being made towards human freedom and flourishing is that evaluation as a learning tool is still really important right it is perfectly sensible to basically ask the question, so we were trying this, what happened? Mm. But the difference between human learning systems and new public management is what you do with the mm. results of that evaluation. So human learning systems never say, okay, off the back of that evaluation, we'll buy 10 more of those programs because they work. Right? Mm. So human learning systems isn't looking at a programmatic level to say, Okay, tell us the program that works so we can purchase more of those. Because mm. new public management treats outcomes in the world as kind of commodities that can be purchased. Right? You purchase that commodity by buying the particular program that led to that outcome in that other context. And you go, oh, if we buy more of those programs, it will deliver us these outcomes in these other contexts. That's yeah. just not true. Like provably, provably not true. Again. Any commissioner who works like that or whatever should be made to read all the research papers. Again, let's let, like, I've got this idea about kind of punishment in this, you know, conversation today. I'm excited <laughs> by that idea of that. And it would make academics happy because more people would read their research papers. Listening, you have actually collated a lot of that together. So it's on, what is it, human learning doc systems? Uh, human, yeah, human learning doc systems. So a bunch of that research is, is accessible via that website. Okay, and so, that, so evaluation that, is useful, but it's what you do with it. What evaluation can tell you is that this thing seemed to work in this context. And we've got a reasonable guess that some of the kind of crucial factors behind that with this. So that is really important information for others to know, right? If you receive that kind of information, why would you not learn from it, right? Mm. But what you don't do is try and replicate that program in another place because the nature of complexity says the conditions in your place and your time are different. So the conditions that generated the success of that program in the research setting 
Therefore, there's no guarantee of success for that stuff. The last thing you should do is take up a kind of fidelity to the program model approach mm. that says this program succeeded because it had nurses with the wore blue hats and had glasses with frames that were like this. Therefore, we want all our nurses to wear blue hats because that apparently made the real difference. Yeah, it's, it, that's the nonsense. Mm, okay, so did that answer your, does that does that answer your question? Because I'm, I'm I'm not sure I answered your question. I, I don't think it did answer the question. It gave me a total a different insight. But my question was: How do we understand if we're making progress overall when we accept that replicating something isn't the answer? And who knows whether your thing had the impact that you were so, looking for or not. So let, let me turn that question around. If you were a social worker working with a family who whose child was having kind of difficulties with going to school, mm. how would you know whether you felt like you were making progress with that child? From the quality of the relationship, from the conversations you're having, from what you see that child doing, saying. Exactly. And if you were a specialist in this kind of stuff, your professional expertise and your experience would give you a set of heuristics, the, the things that you would be looking out for in the feedback loops. A really boring answer to the question, how do we know we're making progress, is feedback loops, right? Mm. Feedback loops that are bringing together information from lots of different perspectives. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right? When this stuff gets really smart, okay, there's some easy things that I'm looking out for that seem to be true across a number of different cases. Yes, that's the thing to look for. How we really know whether we're making progress towards that child's well-being and kind of integrating into school well is we take all of the data, the information that we get from these different feedback loops, we sit down with the family and we go, what do we think this means? Mm. And together we work out whether we're making progress too. Mm. Because it is that process of sense making of gathering the data that we're, that from the feedback loops, putting them in front of all the relevant actors in that particular space and going, what does this mean? Does this mm. feel like we're making progress? Mm. And so I can see that the managers job, if you still even call them a manager, yeah, completely changes. And I can see how that works on quite a local scale and where my brain stops understanding it is how does that work regionally and nationally, particularly within a political system? This is part of my to comment at CPI was to try and understand exactly those questions. Because if you'd have <laughs> asked me that question 18 months ago and gone, uh -oh. I, mean, I don't really know. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't done really have examples from that scan, so I can't yeah. tell you, which isn't really a very satisfactory answer. My job over the last 18 months or so has been to mm. explore this question of what does it look like at a regional and national level. And what we found in doing that exploration is amazing organizations like the Finnish National Agency, they have an innovation center in Kadufi whose job it is to support local systems to become more effective learning systems. <laughs> so what the job of the national agency mm. is, is not to say, this is the policy, here's a resource mm. for it. We're going to check up on whether you're doing that or not. That's not how we go about people. Because yeah, listening to the DG, the director general of, the, of that agency said, oh, I work, the education system in Finland is littered with reports. Mm whatever that the center tried to implement mm, so yeah. 
had been to all that, they recognized that that approach of the center telling people what to do and checking off on them. Mm. So what they tried was an alternative where they said, basically, the job of the national is to help the local to learn better. So we can bring together the local authorities, the schools, the head teachers, the teaching unions, the parents. If you don't know how to collectively define the problems that you want, so we can, here's a bunch of tools and here's a bunch of yeah. workshops. And if you don't know how to define uh, what an experiment looks like, that where you would begin to try and address it, here's a bunch of workshops, here's a bunch of tools, and here's a bunch of, mm. and you gather data. And we can support you with all of that. And until it re what they identified is that the role of the national is to support and enable learning at the local level. Then further, to connect up all the different locals that are doing those processes so that they can learn from one another. Because partly that generates peer-to-peer -peer accountability. Hmm. It's really hard to fool a colleague, right? Uh, sometimes it can be pretty easy to fool the manager because the manager doesn't necessarily know how to do the job hard to pull the colleague, right? <laughs> so you get, it partly generates peer-to-peer -peer accountability, but it does that thing as well, that if you build national learning infrastructure, it does exactly that thing that you're talking about before of innovation spreads horizontally from place to mm. place. Mm. Interestingly, uh, so this is from Oli Pekka-Heinen and the ex-director general of the Finnish National Education Agency, he was saying that what one of the unexpected side effects of them was, it counters the not invented here syndrome. When we're trying to do that kind of failed strategy of, oh, that seems to work in that place. Let's implement it mm. everywhere. What they got was a bunch of resistance. Oh, that won't work here because, mm. and that th they had previously interpreted that as that not implemented here. So that we are resistant to anything things they outside. Ultimately, those people were probably exactly right to resist things that were being mm. imposed from elsewhere because they had mm. their own stuff going. Anyway, mm. when they took a spreading learning approach to it. And they both assumed and nurtured curiosity value. It had the opposite effect. It was like, oh, that's interesting. What can we learn from that? <laughs> so it, that was mm. their experience of like countering that not invented here. I love that example. I don't know if you chose that deliberately or not, but we have here in New Zealand, Tahui Ako, which communities of learning amongst teachers. My wife's a teacher, so I hear a little bit from her about how those go. And I think often the mindset around them is, ugh, we have to go to the kahoyako, someone's making us do this. While there's a bit of a system for learning that has been set up, I think there's not quite the understanding of why we might have that set up and what the value could be and, and how important it is. A really interesting observation. I mean, I don't know anything about the the specific context you described there, Paul, but when I hear stories like that, I make sense of them by saying it's really hard to bolt a learning culture onto existing new public management practices. When public servants are used to being rewarded and punished, like carrot stick, stick, mm. carrot, blah, blah, blah. have you hit this target? Blah, blah, blah. It is then exceptionally difficult to go, oh, and by the way, we really want to kind of nurture your curiosity and like, you should kind of want to do kind of continuous self-improvement. Those two ways of development are from two competing paradigms that are in tension with one another. They require a different set of underlying values and mm. beliefs about how the world works and how human beings are motivated. But you, it's really, really hard. I wouldn't say impossible, but I've not seen it to get those things fit together, right? And I'm not saying that this is an easy change, but it is a change that is possible. You say, okay, 
you are responsible for your own kind of continuous improvement and you are responsible for that because, you know, how could you be a good teacher if you weren't continuously learning? How are you going to serve your purpose of like, and your responsibility to those children unless you're continuously getting better? We do. And where's, where's your curiosity for your own improvement? When you've got that curiosity, how do we nurture? How do we feed that curiosity with practice from elsewhere and like from, from peers within your schools and learning from the kids that you're working with? And uh, that's the mindset and then practice shift that can result. Yeah. I think also part of the challenge in this example, and it's a good one to kind of continue with, is I'm a teacher, I'm also working in a system where I don't have that many hours in the day and I'm spending a lot of time potentially doing things that may or may not be of value. Exactly, right? So if we think about how much time teachers waste checking up on things and filling in the paperwork that new public management man, but what the liberating potential of doing things differently, we say, take all of that time and repurpose it for improving your sense of how you do your job well. Mm. And when people come sit down and reflect on some of this stuff, they often say, oh, actually, some of that information will be really useful to me. But I want to know what my kids think about whether that lesson was useful for them or not. If I was using it for my improvement purposes, rather than just packaging it up at school level to send it away to the department mm. to keep the department off our backs, right? then people can make use of that stuff. But it is about repurposing all of that stuff, the kind of measurement and all the other mechanisms of, of collective improvement to say, for the question, how do we get better at what we do? Yeah. Right. That should be the, the driving question behind all measurement things, yeah. behind all the professional development trainings. How do I get better at what I do? Yeah. When that is both the expectation and value of curiosity sure. in action, yeah. then what we've seen is that it becomes perfectly possible to use those kind of values as ways to improve. There's lots that we could keep talking about. And I also know there's lots of other podcasts out there that you've been on. So we could refer people to some of those and, and some of the awesome resources that are online as well. I've got one final question that I would like to ask you, which is specifically about Aotearoa New Zealand. So we have one of the most centralized government systems in the world. 88% of our government spending is spent centrally compared to the OECD average of 46%. And the UK is quite high up on that as well. As I've been reading some of the, your human learning system stuff, I'm going, oh, what does this mean for how we invest and allocate our time and energy centrally versus locally? What's your insights on that? Those figures that you mentioned do represent a significant structural challenge because in general, the guiding principles of human learning systems is we take the important decisions in work and yeah. therefore you have to build infrastructure around the work that enables people to do that kind of learning and reflection. Absolutely. I would say that that 88% figure is problematic, but again, you could use this as the best choice, right? Perfectly possible to change some of that stuff. And in general, decisions that are made more locally are more efficient because they are more context sensitive 
and yeah. therefore provide a better and more effective use of resources in context. Because the thing about centralized spending is that it's wasteful. Mm. Yeah, because... I'm reminded of the, the, the whispers game that you play as a kid and whatever you whispered at the start isn't what you get at the end. Well, and also, if you try and take like programmatic public service decisions at a central level and purchase programs at a central level, what you end up with is a bunch of stuff that doesn't work in different mm. contexts. Because mm. you can't take account of that when you do that stuff centrally. And basically what that results in is a bunch of really, really wasted public service money because mm. you're doing programs that don't work in all the contexts they have to. Because the only people with enough knowledge to go, oh yeah, in this context, we should do this, not that, are the people in that. Mm. Right? Only they have mm. that knowledge. So when you try and do this stuff centrally, it looks, oh, well, to a traditional economist, it looks cheaper because you do purchasing on economies of scale and all that kind of stuff. Actually, again, evidence from public service research says, no, yeah. actually, that stuff's really wasteful. Because what you end up is a lot of cheaply purchased centralized stuff that is effectively wasted money because it's not doing the thing that it said it's mm. supposed to do. Because mm. it can't because it's not context sensitive. Again, this is not to say that there isn't a role for central stuff because there is absolutely a role for building learning infrastructure and kind of learning from patterns below. And there are certain types of decisions that have to be taken nationally. And those require learning from the patterns across lots of different places. There's still a ton of useful stuff for centralized civil servants and others to do. It's just not purchasing programs that are delivered on the ground. That's right. That definitely makes sense to me. Go, go ahead. Question. Oh, of course you and can. The, sorry, this is a bit surprising. Maybe I've told you that uh, yeah. I want to do this, but you have an understanding of the human learning system. Itself. You obviously have a much deeper understanding of the contexts of public service work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Where are the opportunities for doing things different? I mean, that's almost what I'm trying to figure out and asking you that question about you know, national versus locally. And I'm trying to understand for myself and my own career and my own work, if I embrace this way of working, where can I make the most impact? Actually, is it where I live? Nelson, there's 40,000 people. And I see the, the ecosystem of the public service here embedded in new public management. And even when people try to get out of their silos and work collaboratively across organizations, they're still within that mindset. So I'm going, oh, actually, is it locally that I can make the biggest impact? Mm, I'm not sure. But then I look and I go, well, we are a very centralized system. So unless we shift some of those structures, you know, we're not going to be able to make progress in this way. So the short answer to your question, Tubby, is I don't know. Curiosity is something that drives me and keeps me motivated. And so I'm still in the process of learning and figuring that out for myself. Well, there's a lifetime of learning here, Toby. It's enough to keep us out of trouble for a while yet, I should think. Toby, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing yeah, your, your wisdom, your thoughts with us, your questions, your own curiosity. Any final thoughts from you? It feels like there is such an interesting opportunity to do things differently. Of all the places in the world that are kind of ripe for experimentation in doing public management, the questions that are being asked there are more 
advanced than the most central governments are capable of. And so I, I think where you are is really a place to watch for explorations into, into this, doing this stuff differently. So I, I, all of, all of this is by way of saying what a pleasure it is to get to mm-hmm. speak with and learn from all the people who are doing that work in your various contexts. Some TV. We probably should add at the end as well, there's a launch event of some kind oh, yeah. coming we, up we soon. Should. Yeah, yeah. Remember, this <laughs> is the teaser. <laughs> yeah. um, so we are a bunch of people who are curious to explore doing public management differently in outer New Zealand contexts, have come together and we are doing a launch of the ebook Human Learning Systems Public Service for the Real World. Which is just, it's just a kind of free report that got our hand really yeah. accidentally wrote a book. So we are doing a launch event on the 3rd of November. You can read the book at uh, realworld.report. If you put human learning systems, public service, the real world, into Google, you, you will find it also. And the really exciting thing is that what I hope that, that launch event does is that it, it is a connection mechanism for all those who are feeling frustrated with how new public management prevents them from doing the work. And all of those people can see and find one another and people can realize quite the extent of the dissatisfaction in your context. Because when you see how many people are dissatisfied, you realize what the potential for change is. That sounds powerful. Well, thank you, Toby. We'll definitely share that. So kia ora, Toby. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Consultation podcast. What did you learn from the show? What should we have talked about? Who else should I interview? I would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about what you heard today, everything from the show is at www.businesslab.co.nz slash podcast. If this episode has left you with a burning question, please feel free to submit a voice message through the link on our podcast page. We can then ask that question of a guest in a future episode. Or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and I can point you in the right direction. If you want to know when we release new episodes, make it easier for yourself and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Again, thank you for listening. Nga mihi mo te whakarongo.